Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store custom closet sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Two men who did not win $1.6 billion. That means we're still doing a weekly podcast in the meantime. Mike Morgan, J.C. Sherbert. It is the J.C. and Morgan podcast coming to you each and every week from the Mecca of college football, Atlanta, G.A., J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I dilly-dally over there with ESPN and the SEC Network, fresh off a uh, football trip to Mizzou, a basketball trip to Kentucky, and uh, now back to the friendly confines of the ATL. Where there's cold in the air, J.C. We actually have football weather. We don't believe in the fall anymore here in the south. We just go from blistering hot to frigid. Forget about leaves falling and a nice cool fall breeze. We're, we're down to about two to three seasons. We don't have a fall. Uh, no, it, it went from about 80 to about uh, 40 in a week. Uh, did have some nice weather while you were gone this past weekend uh, here in the ATL, but uh, it was short-lived. The fall was short-lived this year um, as now we're, you know, 55 and sunny uh, mid-morning uh, here in Atlanta, Georgia. So it's uh, it's not supposed to get above 60 through the weekend, so it's going to be kind of uh, definitely cooler temps, uh, whether you're out at a college football game this weekend or grilling out on your porch or trick-or-treating with the kids. Um, put a jacket on, man, because it's going, to be, uh, it's going to be a little nipply down here in the southeast. It certainly is. I can tell you it was much colder in Mizzou and Lexington, Kentucky, so I, I'll give uh, I'll give thanks for, for little things. Atlanta in uh, – those of us that live, I guess, you know, we got a lot of listeners in Georgia and South Carolina and Florida and Alabama and Mississippi. Those states are typically a little bit warmer than some of the other uh, states that we're commonly talking about in the SEC or the ACC. Uh, I felt sorry for our sideline reporter at Mizzou on Saturday, and that was a three o'clock kick central time, and it was already gusting wind. She had to go to the ponytail and not all the... Uh, hairspray in the world was going to keep it together because it was windy as heck then it got chilly and cold at night and uh lexington was also pretty chilly as well so uh if you're i know how this is like if you're listening to anything north of um i don't know south carolina you're like oh, you guys are a couple of wimps man we're 10 degrees colder than you are and i get it and i admit it i am a wimp when it comes to cold weather uh but such is life jc we had a busy week in uh, college football we finally had kind of that landmark upset that really is going to have a, a major impact potentially on the playoff we've we've come close a couple of times but I don't think we've really had that one that just kind of shakes everything to the ground. You know, Alabama still being Alabama, Clemson still being Clemson. Um, in the SEC overall, 
you know, Auburn has, t- has taken a, a nosedive, even though they bounced back. Georgia losing to LSU at LSU. I wouldn't call that a, a groundbreaking upset. But what happened over there at Purdue certainly was uh, Urban Meyer and Ohio State rolling in. And, you know, this is a team we haven't really talked about it much because they're so talented. Ohio State can do a lot of things wrong and still win games. But if, if you take a closer look at the way they've been winning them, the defense has not been particularly dominating. The offense hasn't been sharp, particularly in the red zone. They've been lousy. And while they do have a lot of talent, there, there has been a lot of chinks in the armor in Buckeye land. And it finally came to roost against the Purdue team and the fighting Jeff Brahms. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you know, my thoughts on Jeff Brom, I think he's a stud. And I think that with all due respect to West Lafayette, I don't think he stays at Purdue for long. Cause I think bigger job offers are coming, but they went ahead and they didn't just clip Ohio state. They beat them down. Has to be the most surprising result of the weekend. Uh, yeah, maybe of the season and not just, from the standpoint of Purdue won the game, uh, this was not a flukish type of performance. I mean, Purdue dominated on both sides of the ball. I I wasn't surprised that Purdue scored points. Um, What surprised me is I looked up at the score uh, in the second quarter and Purdue had just taken a 7-0 lead. So Purdue on defense, and Nick Holt is their defensive coordinator. He has a good reputation. Um, Really did a fantastic job. Uh, this upset, I think, impacted three programs, maybe even more, maybe five. You could make an argument for maybe, let's go with four, five. Let's go with five. It impacted Purdue because it's a signature, signature win. Uh, I know West Lafayette over the past decade or so has been a house of horrors for the Buckeyes in general. I think that that's the only venue in the Big Ten in the last seven games that Ohio State has a losing record in. They're three and four at Purdue. Um, six and one at Michigan during that time, but three <laughs> and four at Purdue, five and two at Penn State. Um, you know, so it has been a house of horrors. Um, you know, I, I, I think it, it impacted Purdue tremendously because, you know, they didn't get off to a good start. You know, they lost the home game on the Thursday night to Northwestern. Mm-hmm. Uh, Northwestern, a team that ended up losing to Akron later in the year, and they're not, you know, Pat Fitzgerald's one of the best coaches in the country, but they sort of are what they are. Uh, then they lose a game at home to Eastern Michigan, which uh, is traditionally a terrible Mac school. Um, and that wasn't fun. They lost by one point. Uh, and then they kind of rebounded against Missouri, Mike. They got down early by double digits, came back, looked like they were going to win the game. Missouri drives down the field, kicks a field goal to win. So they're 0-3. Um, kind of got well against Boston College, which I think is a pretty good football team. And, again, Purdue played good defense in that game, holding the Eagles to 13. They win over Nebraska. They get another win. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're four and three. So it definitely impacted Purdue as a program positively. Nationally televised game, primetime kickoff. Herbie and and uh, Fowler and, and those guys were there, you know, calling it. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't get any better than that for that program. It impacted Ohio State because I think for weeks I even thought Ohio State – Top to bottom was a little better than than Clemson, just just on the basis of they've played more tough teams than Clemson. Uh, you, you did see Clemson struggle against A and M a little bit. You saw Clemson struggle against Syracuse earlier this year. Um, 
but I don't think there's any question now. Clemson's far superior to the Buckeyes. Um, and the Urban Meyer narrative has just gone, you know, completely off the rails all of a sudden. There's, you know, and look, football scoop, uh, and, and I know Scott that runs it, and, and he's a good guy and is connected and all that, but it is what it is. It, it's a site that, you know, they're not fact-checking things and double-checking things, and, and so the validity of the report, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to question it, uh, but I'm saying, you know, a lot of times on Football Scoop, you, you know, they put rumors out or whatever, and that's fine because that is what they are. Um, but they report that, you know, there's been some, you know, friction between Urban and the administration at Ohio State and among the staff and all this good stuff. Well, Urban addressed it and said, oh, no, there's no friction with Gene Smith and I. But, you know, with the staff, he was kind of like, well, we just obviously have to fix some things, and that's where that friction's coming from. Um, you know, and, and so Ohio State, their media and everybody else, I mean, bucknuts.com, and it's an aptly named site, and they're part of our network at 24-7 Sports, do a great job covering Ohio State. Uh, love all those guys there. Um, but they're Ohio State folks, you know. Um, I'm not saying everything they write has a positive spin on it, but, um, you know, that, that's, it's buck nuts. I mean, you know, that, that's what it is. <laughs> and uh, they just blasted uh, the game, you know, about how, you know, Urban Meyer doesn't look like himself. Uh, this was a disaster. Ohio State doesn't even deserve to be in the playoff talk picture. Uh, this is not an – blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, even the – the friendly Ohio State media is up in arms about that loss, and probably rightfully so. Uh, I think it had an impact on the University of Louisville football program, where they're struggling under Bobby Petrino this year. Uh, probably you could you could probably argue they had a disappointing year last year as well uh, with Lamar Jackson as a senior, but they're really not that good. They're bad uh, this year. Jeff Brom, of course, is a former Louisville quarterback. Louisville is a better job than Purdue because they're in the ACC um, now. It's not an American conference job. And, and, you know, they obviously have some leadership turnover there or whatever. But, um, you know, now they want to bring him home. Sold. I don't think they were probably as sold on their their favorite son when um, they lost to Eastern Michigan when Purdue did. But now Louisville, I mean, they're ready to dump Petrino and, and, and go get Brom tomorrow. So it impacted them. Um, I think it impacted the University of Notre Dame because Notre Dame now is still standing there undefeated. They've had some unimpressive wins like the game against Pitt. Uh, but they also now with Ohio State with that ba- another bad loss, you know, you could see a situation where if Ohio State ends up winning the Big Ten, uh, with only one loss, knocks Michigan to two losses. You know, that kind of creates a better path uh, for the University of Notre Dame. Uh, and finally, I, I think it impacted Clemson because when you're, when you're talking about Clemson, you know, I think there was some, some debate to be had based on their schedule, based on what Ohio State had done, winning a tough game against TCU, winning at Penn State, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, now I, I think it's, it's an Alabama and Clemson world and everybody's just sort of, you know, sitting there living in it. And uh, five, I think it impacted Michigan because I think now you see Michigan uh, has a clearer path to the playoff um, in, in terms of, you know, not only winning the game at the end of the year against the Buckeyes, um, I think it also kind of alleviates a little bit with Harbaugh 
you know, because the whole narrative with him has been he can't beat the rivals, can't win the big games, and lost to Notre Dame earlier this year was bad. Uh, they go beat Michigan State, which we'll talk about that game here in a little bit. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, now they're tied for first in the division, uh, and they got their whole, you know, they got they got it all in front of them. You know, Michigan could be a legitimate playoff team. And I think because that's such a rivalry that's been one-sided over the years, and Ohio State's won, what, 9 of 11 in that series, the, especially since Urban Meyer got there, that if you're Michigan, you know, sort of uh, your enemy getting knocked down a notch and having turmoil that's not, you know, that's both on the field and sort of off the field, that sort of helps solidify you, especially when you're winning. So I, I think that, you know, when you're talking about an upset, you know, a lot of times it only impacts the two programs involved. Um, this thing, I think, resonated through the upper echelons of college football and the tentacles uh, of this win sort of stretch uh, and impact a lot of programs. Excellent points all around. Um there's no question. It's a ripple effect. You know, when you've got one of the the bell cow playoff programs dropping a game to an unranked team, an unranked team, as you mentioned, that was 0-3 to start, although that's a little misleading. Um, they're 0-3. I would stack up, I guess, against other 0-3s, and certainly they've put it together since then. And they do have, it in my estimation, I think in a lot of people's estimations, an elite coach. Still, that that does have uh, a ripple effect down through uh, the core of college football, and certainly drastically affects uh, the playoff situation. I'll just say one thing on the all of the, uh, as you mentioned, the websites and uh, the the fan base of Ohio State that seems to have turned some of which, and I never judge you know, the pulse of a of a fan base based on Twitter or message boards or anything else. Because I think if you put a gun to your average, I hate that analogy. Let's try to soften that up a little bit. If you, uh, if you put your average Ohio state fan in a room right now, even still with that loss fresh in their minds. Okay. Do you want urban Meyer as your head coach going forward? Or do you want to roll the dice on somebody else as frustrated, as angry as anything else they are? They're still going to, at some point, logic's going to step in and say, I got to stick with Urban. I think so. I think more than 50% are going to say that. Now, that said, the residue of what happened in the offseason, the embarrassment of having your university have to hold all these press press conferences and try to justify how Urban Meyer uh, didn't know about what was going on with (laughs) – a, a an assistant coach that he has a very strong relationship with uh, that his wife knew but didn't tell him and you know all the the subsequent toxicity that goes along with that kind of story that that is going to wear on you a little bit because as much as you like urban Meyer's abilities you don't like your university being dragged through the mud on a national scandal and that's what happened they did everything they could to, as I, as I often said, operate in the gray and find a way to justify urban keeping his job. And they did it well. But now once you lose an embarrassing game and you're foreseeably out of the playoff hunt, now all of a sudden that combined with that residue 
from the offseason and going into week one. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, OK, I, I, I don't like Urban at all. Maybe it's time to go. That's how that's where a lot of that comes from. When you're winning, scandals are something you can easily just put under the sand and just kind of look the other way. Typical fan bases are, are able to justify a lot when you're winning and playing for championships. When you're not playing to your abilities, you're underachieving and you get smoked by Purdue. Now, all of a sudden, that snowball effect becomes real. And uh, on top of everything else, Urban Meyer looks like a man who's not exactly healthy and uh, looks like a man who really just needs a long vacation. So I, I wonder... I wonder where all that is heading. You know, there's some people already speculating that he's a guy that's probably going to retire at the end of this year. I don't know about all that. I mean, because if Urban reti- if Urban calls it quits at the end of this year, he strikes me as a guy that nothing else in life is going to fulfill him enough to make him happy. Mm-hmm. And that's and I'm not picking on Urban on that. I think there's a lot of coaches like that. So I don't think he wants to retire at the end of this year. But if if you know if things continue to head toxic, then you never know. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh no, I, I'm just going to say this. Uh, you know, Urban Meyer, if that happens, and that's a big if. Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store custom closet sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. He doesn't need to go take a big job. He doesn't need to go take SC if it opens. He's not going to be happy there. He doesn't need to take Notre Dame if Brian Kelly happens to go to the NFL. He needs to kind of do what Steve Spurrier did and go take a job similar to South Carolina where, you know, it's not hopeless, but it's not a place where – they're going to get pissed off at you if you're 77 and nine. Um, I, I, I think that you look at what happened at Florida and look, a lot of coaches have gotten run off at Florida. Don't get me wrong. Okay. And Dan Mullen is enough of a hedgehog in my opinion to survive there a long time. <laughs> but Dan Mullen's a d- d- cut from a different cloth than urban. My urban's very emotional. I think losing, you know, people talk about how Nick Saban hates losing. Um, a lot of great coaches hate losing. Urban Meyer visibly hate losing affects his health. Okay, so if this is happening again, and he, he that d- desire is still there to coach, which I know it is, I would take some place that doesn't have a ton of expectations that has a chance. 
You know, I just I, I wouldn't get back into the fryer at an Ohio State or a Florida or someplace like that. I would take I a, like a middling job. I like your analogy, but for one difference, and that is when Steve went from Florida to the NFL to South Carolina, there were no scandals in Steve's closet. Yes. Steve had a pretty impeccably clean record as a 12-year head coach at Florida, as a three-year head coach at Duke. Urban Meyer has got some baggage now. The Urban Meyer, uh, what do they call those? You know, there's, there's a term for like, Actors and actresses, you know, what's your what's your cum, what's your personal cum, kind of kind of like a popularity rating. It ain't good for Urban. I mean, Urban just has struck a lot of people as a cold sob, as a guy that doesn't give a crap about anybody, uh, as a guy who turns the other cheek to almost anything going on in this program, as long as it means wins over losses. Uh, so, Urban. <laughs> That's not going to go. You're right. The pressure of a major university, uh, you know, kind of a again a, a bell cow bell cow program of major success. You can find one of those tier two jobs, and it won't be as intense. But the the stuff that has been attached to him now, that will follow him. You know, the only way to get away from that is you know do like a. Do you like a Mike Price or something? Go coach at UTEP. Go to a conference USA school, and then nobody is going to care enough to even cover you. And so you you can live in relative obscurity and still have the pleasure of coaching. But you know, even a, a program like a, a middle SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12 school, you're still going to be in some kind of limelight. There still is going to be some pressure to win, and there's still going to be some fans in that particular fan base that look at you and say, I don't like this guy because I think he's a jerk. Yeah, you know, Arizona, he had a relationship, I think, with the the Arizona athletic director at the time. Um, Arizona talked to him about that job when he was sitting out for a year before Trussell got canned at Ohio State. And yeah, he obviously said, nah, nah, not interested. That would be a place, you know, because Arizona, you know, it's a basketball school. They care about football, you know, and, and they ended up hiring Rich Rod, who certainly had some some baggage of his own, and then they hired Kevin Sumlin. So I don't think they give a damn <laughs> out there. But a job like that, you know, to me it, it, it is a place that if Urban Meyer – if it doesn't work out at Ohio State and he still wants to coach, that's it. Well, let me tell you what's wrong with it from a football standpoint. We'll take all this other stuff off the field. Here's what's wrong with the Ohio State Buckeyes from a football standpoint. Besides the fact Nick Bosa, their best player on their defense, is out and the defensive backfield is not that good uh, or not up to their standards. I would hesitate to say they're not that good in Purdue obviously has a great scheme and, and their their receiver slash running back guy Morris is a stud. But here, here's the thing. Urban Meyer is not being Urban Meyer anymore with his offense. All right. Urban Meyer's offense, the genius of that offense as it's evolved and Dan Mullen's running it at Florida now. And I think we can see some of that now is that you have a power running element combined with option principles that stress a defense sideline to sideline and vertically. That's why they're scheme wise. That's why that offense was great. Tom Herman 
when he was at Ohio State as the OC, and, and they haven't had what I would call a great offensive coordinator. I mean, they, they still put points on the board, but their scheme has not been what it was since Tom Herman left. Um, you know, he kind of tweaked it a little bit, put a little more um, power running into it out of under center, stuff like that. Uh, but it was the same principle. Ohio State right now, it has a lot of like throw, 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 throw. I mean, 73 passes for I, Dwayne Haskins. I mean, and look, when you do that, and, 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 you know, that's not Urban Meyer. That's not why Urban Meyer had a great offense. He was never an air raid guy. He was a, it was the, the genius of it was it could be air raid, but ultimately, and in the Big Ten, you have to do this. It's a power running offense out of the spread. That's what makes it tough. And and, and I, I get you have to evolve and tweak and stuff like that because, heck, Urban Meyer got to Florida in 05. That's 13 years. Defensive coordinators catch up. But this Ohio State team is so dependent on Haskins. And, and look, quarterbacks sometimes have bad days throwing. Sometimes they, they you know, they're not as accurate. Or sometimes you're, I mean, and, and, and even at that, Haskins put up huge numbers. But Ohio State wasn't going to run the football. You have to still be able to run the ball. Apparently, this has been an issue the whole year, and it got exposed against Purdue. Um, you know, red zone, and, and, and those types of offenses, Mike, when you throw it so much and you're so pass heavy, when you get into the red zone, the field shortens and the windows are tighter. And sometimes you fail. Sometimes that's not the best thing to do when you get down close. It's chunking all over the place. And it was tried and true that that happened on Saturday night. From a football standpoint, that's the issue. This team is not able to line up and maul people, which they no. should be able to. No, three yards per rush. Yeah, you can't three point zero yards per rush. If I were to tell you, if you didn't see a single play of that game, and I and somebody said, "Hey, what was the score of Ohio State? How many they win by?" Oh no, you got it wrong, sir. Purdue won forty nine to twenty. Your first instinct, I guarantee you, would be to say turnovers. They must have had a bunch of turnovers, right? A couple fumbles, couple picks. They had one turnover the entire game. One. One interception. So this was not the least bit flukish. The ball didn't not bounce their way on a, on a particular Saturday, a couple of fumbles, uh, deflected ball on a pass that goes into the safety's hands. No, none of that. They just got beat down. They couldn't run. Their red zone offense has been atrocious all year long. And Urban's kind of shrugging his shoulders like, I don't know why. Well, I mean, it's your job to know why. Uh, but anyway, th this was, I didn't see this coming against Purdue, but you could certainly see it coming against a better opponent. Uh, and you, you certainly could see at some point that the bullets that they were dodging would be no longer. And there's no question losing Nick Bosa is effective. We didn't get a chance to get into this last week. And I don't know how much time I want to spend on it this week. I don't think this is going to be an epidemic. I don't think all of a sudden, uh, star players are just going to quit in the middle of the year because they have an injury. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm familiar with the Bosa family. They're, they're down there in South Florida. Father was a former dolphin. Uh, this is not some story. Everybody got immediately. It's, it, it's such, it's such blatant ignorance. People just want to jump to the, their own storyline, anything they can do to get to their own narrative. Mm -hmm. They're going to do. So immediately when this happens, you have people out there say, well, if we paid these kids, this kind of stuff wouldn't happen. Nick Bosa comes from a lot of money, folks. 
Daddy did really well. They went to a private school, St. Thomas Aquinas, which has produced a ton of NFL talent over the years. Uh, it is a very good program. I can tell you firsthand as I had uh, the, the, the pleasure of playing on high school football and basketball teams that got smoked by St. Thomas, very humbling experience for yours truly. Uh, and you, you could pay Nick Boza $30,000 a year, right? Which is never going to happen by the way, even if these kids get a true salary, they're never making 30 grand a year, but let's just say hypothetical. Let's say it was 50 grand a year. That's not going to sway Nick Boza's decision. Nick Boza is about to become a multi-multi-millionaire. He comes from money. This was just a, you know, I'm not feeling it. Uh, I'm not real healthy. What am I doing? I, I don't – some people are afraid to criticize the kid because of it. I'm not. I think it's pretty lame. I think it's pretty weak. Uh, you were playing on a team that had a chance to play for a national title. This is not Christian McCaffrey sitting out a Tier 3 bowl game at the end of the season for Stanford. This is a premier player on a premier team who just decided I'm going to shut it down. I don't like it. Doesn't matter. He's got the right to do it. I'm not going to be afraid to criticize it, but this is not a, I, I did well, if he, he comes from the inner city and therefore he, he did what was best for grandma that that is so tired and people just jump to that conclusion without knowing any better. But I say all that to get to this I do think that has an effect on your team. I, I do think the fact that you're a premier, forget about the talent level. You just lost the best pass rusher in all of college football. And it also sends kind of a message like it's everybody out for themselves at Ohio state. We got a scandal with our head coach. We got our top player deciding he doesn't want to play anymore. I, I think there's a little bit of apathy in the air from a lot of those players. And that's, that's unfortunate, but this, this happens every now and then in college football. It, it really does. Uh, just to go back to your original premise, that kind of the tentacles of all this, what this really means combined with a win over Michigan state is that Michigan has a chance, at least for the time being to surpass Ohio state in supremacy for the big 10 conference. And you and I have been talking about this for a while uh, there are a lot of people, again, who just don't like Jim Harbaugh. I get it. He's brash. He says a lot of stuff, uh, comes across as kind of arrogant. I, I don't know if he knocked on my door. Would I invite him in for a, a beverage? I probably would. Maybe a half hour later, I'd ask him to leave. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know Jim Harbaugh that well. But for whatever reason, he flat out pisses people off. And so there were people that want him to fail. And I'm not just talking Ohio State fans. I'm talking just John Q. Public. They wanted him to fail and wanted you to believe at the beginning of this year that Jim Harbaugh is and should be on the hot seat. Asinine <laughs> to you and me, but that was a common sentiment. Then they lose to Notre Dame, who, uh, by the way, Notre Dame is pretty good. And and, and again, uh, Jim Harbaugh, failure at Michigan. This whole thing is a failure. He's not even a good coach. Did you see what he did at Stanford? Did, did you see what he did? Uh, heck, did you see what he did in the NFL, leading a team in the Super Bowl? That whole thing now has a chance to be completely wiped off the mat if Michigan can keep winning, win in Columbus against an Ohio State team that's clearly got some issues, and get into the playoff. All of a sudden, Jim Harbaugh will once again be in the elite status that I never thought he left, mm. but he all everybody else will have to come around and say, okay, I don't like him. I don't like khaki pants, but yes, he's a damn good football coach. Yeah, yeah look, I, I think the guy is not only one of the top five football coaches in college, I think he's a top five coach in on any level. 
Uh, I think you could really put him in the same category as a Pete Carroll. Uh, and honest to God, if Nick Saban had decided to go back to the NFL a couple of years ago, I, I have no doubt he would be successful. I have no doubt he would have been still with the Dolphins, maybe even if uh, they would have gotten Drew Brees instead of Dante Culpepper um, as their quarterback. Uh, you know, so I, I, I look at, you know, just where he's been. The University of San Diego, not San Diego State, the University of San Diego. It's a private school. I had a good friend of mine that I used to work with that played football there. It's a not – the Toreros do not have the <laughs> tradition that the Crosstown Aztecs do, Division Two school. Turned them around, took them to the playoffs. All right, so then he's hired at Stanford. Stanford was awful, awful. And Harbaugh had a couple of awful teams to start with, but he took one of them down to SC when the Trojans were rolling and beat Pete Carroll 24-23. With do you remember? Do you just They were a 42-point underdog in that game. They had no business even being on the field with that team and won in the Coliseum by a point. Massive upset. Uh, David Shaw is still benefiting from the groundwork Jim Harbaugh laid. Well, then he goes to the 49ers. Okay, so he's in the NFL. Now, the 49ers – Historically, are one of the best franchises of football. The past 20 years, it's been a dumpster fire, except for that little bit of time. They took a quarterback named Colin Kaepernick, who wasn't the, the traditional drop-back passer, uh, and took the San Francisco 49ers to the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, broke the Falcons' heart, and if it weren't for his brother and the Ravens, he probably would have won it. He yeah. won with Alex Smith, too, before Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, I, and, and and Colin Kaepernick hadn't looked good since Jim Harbaugh left. There's another no, FYI. No doubt. All right, so he goes to Michigan, which is the best situation he's taken over. You know, they're coming off the Brady Hoke era, which is so-so. Um, and, and, you know, he's had some quarterback issues. And 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 the, the division that they happen to put Michigan in is very, very, very good with some of the better teams in the country with the rise of Penn State, with Michigan State, with Ohio State. And so it's taking him time. I predicted when he got hired, he would have Michigan in the playoff within three years. Now, the second year, they were close. They were really, really – that loss to Iowa um, sort of knocked them out uh, of contention, of course, that, that Ohio State game or whatever. Um, and then year three was a disappointment with eight and five. But if they make it in year four, I don't know where, that I was all that off. And, and I do think the guy – is one of the best coaches in all of football. And I don't really understand why people don't like him. He, he, he's more, you know, he's not like a, a crap talker. He's just kind of, he's kind of aloof and wears the dad pants and, you know, says some things. And, 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 you know, I think he gets under people's skin in the South because of recruiting and how he's tried to go recruiting and, and have the camps and all that good stuff. Um, but, but I don't get the criticism. I, I don't think the guy's done anything the coach excellent football um, and speak his mind uh, and like judge Judy, um, you know, since he's, since he's been uh, a coach and he was a hell of a quarterback too. So I, I just, uh, I don't buy the criticism and I'm actually, I, I don't think anybody would mistake me for a Michigan fan. Um, but I, I actually have to admit that I, you know, I, I hope that they do well because I am a Jim Harbaugh fan and do believe that he's one of uh, the greatest coaches we have in the game. It's also, I think, good for college football. By the way, quick shout out. One of the things I love about our podcast is that we've got fans from all over the country and fans of schools from all over the country 
uh, a guy that I know play a lot of pickup basketball with Justin, huge maize and blue fan. So I'm always getting the uh, kind of the feeling of Michigan nation. And he was talking about, it. he said, you know, nationally people just kind of use that Notre Dame loss. It was like hit, hit Jim Harbaugh, like is a pinata day, but Michigan fans as a whole did not panic after that loss and just decide the guy's a bum and it's a terrible hire and all that. And not at all. Uh, I think most Michigan fans, particularly those who have survived some previous coaches that have not done so hot over there in Ann Arbor, they realize they've got a good thing and it might take a little more time than you want, but they're, they're, they're pretty happy with the way it's going. And you just exercised a, another demon in beating Michigan state. Um, so I, I think overall, I think, you know, you mentioned, you don't understand why they don't like them. I almost see a little bit of, again, doesn't mean it's, it's uh, justified or fair or unfair. I think a lot of people look at the current Jim Harbaugh, the way they looked at a younger Steve Spurrier, just kind of brash, kind of arrogant, uh, shoots on the hip. Like you said, he doesn't talk as much trash as say like a Spurrier did. Spurrier always had like a quip against the other team. Uh, but, but I, I see a little bit of that. I, I, I can sense fans of the big, especially if Michigan gets really good fans of the big 10 are going to hate Jim Harbaugh, the way fans of the sec hated Steve Spurrier, yeah. but then they kind of almost missed him when he was gone. <laughs> like, I think there's a little bit of a void with, with a younger Steve Spurrier, not the watered down version. The last couple of years of South Carolina, I think there's a lot of people that miss Steve Spurrier in college football. I would miss Jim Harbaugh. If he's not in college football, we need some more personalities as head coaches in college football. I think that's good for the sport. I'm glad he's there. And, and I'm like you, nobody would confuse me as being a Michigan fan. I really don't care one way or another about Michigan football, but I do want to see Michigan relevant and I want to see Jim Harbaugh relevant. And I think we're getting closer and closer to that. Uh, and it potentially sets up a big matchup. Uh, well, it's a big matchup regardless, but it potentially sets up an upset to where Michigan wins in Columbus gets in the playoff. And I think that'd be fantastic for the, I think the playoff needs that we've talked about quite frankly, the playoffs gotten a little stale, same teams out of every year. We're on another crash course for Alabama and Clemson in it again. Uh, maybe Oklahoma in it again. If Ohio state doesn't get in it in favor of Michigan, that'd be That'd be good for the playoff. Yeah. Playoff needs some new blood in there for crying out loud. I, I'd love like Clemson, Bama, because those two are going to make it. Uh, Texas and Michigan. Yes. I mean, yes. Give me that one. G- give give me, me something. Isn't one, I think one of the semis is in Dallas. Where, where are the semis this year? I think da- isn't Dallas one of them. Um, Dallas and uh, and uh, or in Miami, I think, are the, Miami. Are the two semifinals. Okay. Um, Texas and Clemson and Dallas, lots of orange. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Bama and Michigan in Miami. A, it'll be a rematch of the 19, after the 99 season, the Orange Bowl. I think it was the best team Mike DuBose had at Alabama. They went to the Orange Bowl and played Michigan. I think it was a one point game. I can't remember who won. Uh, but Harbaugh versus Saban would certainly be. Uh, a Titanic matchup and Dabo versus Tom Herman would be a pretty good matchup. So yeah, I think we're pulling that. Speaking of Dabo, look, I think we all knew NC state was a paper tiger. No pun intended. I, you know, they lost four NFL draft picks off their defensive line last year. 
I, I, I didn't think they were the 16th. I don't, I don't think they should be ranked. I think my opinion on Dave Dorn as a coach has been well-documented, even though he's recruiting well this year in state. Um, I, you know, they lost all those players off the D-line. I, I'm not going to give them credit for the Titanic hard-fought win over a good Georgia State team. <laughs> or the win over James Madison, or a five-point victory over Boston College at home. I, I knew they were going to get their butts handed to them, uh, and I watched most of that game. But, boy, Clemson was impressed. NC State stacked the box to try to, try to stop Clemson from running, which uh, they never came off of it either. And Trevor Lawrence shredded them. Mm-hmm. That's not to mention Ryan Finley uh, was not impressive throwing the football. They couldn't get their offense going, and – Clemson rolled. I, I just don't see a loss for Clemson um, really until they get to the playoff. And if it that, if it that it's probably going to be, you know, uh, when they play the Crimson Tide again, it will be the next time I expect them to lose. They're too good on both sides of the ball. Uh, well, look, my thoughts on this game were well documented last week. Yeah. I didn't think this was much of a matchup. I know it was heavily hyped up because technically speaking, NC state was undefeated and yes, they have an NFL quarterback. Uh, NC state does did what NC state does. And that is in a game that is actually propping them up to be a true competitor as a team that could potentially win even their league. They folded like a cheap tent and and the life of an NC state fan is a hard one. It's a hard one because there's a lot of things going for that program that are good. And I think your typical, like your typical North Carolina football fan, I think realizes there's a ceiling and it's okay. We got a great basketball program and we, for the other than a few years under Mac Brown, uh, we've, we've, we've never really been big time anyway. And we're probably never going to be Duke obviously knows there's a ceiling. Wake forest actually knows there's a ceiling, but for whatever reason, NC state, fans believe hey we're this close to being big time okay we are this close to being big time and they've got nice facilities and they've certainly had some some talented players come through nc state and for whatever reason seems like come draft day uh, there's always an nc state player going in the first round so they're doing something right in terms of getting some talented players there Uh, but they're they're never getting over the hurdle and i would say they're not even that close to the hurdle Uh, and and so this is just, this feels like a, this feels like a groundhog day situation where this happens time and time and time again, where you're led to believe that NC state is ready to make that jump. And then they fall flat on their face. There was no reason to think that they were going to be Vegas had it right. I mean, they had them as like a 17 and a half point, uh, underdog, but for a, a lot of people were, were convinced this was going to be a really good matchup. And of course it was not. No, and there a lot of them were basing it on, you know, the last two years. And, and I'll say this: like, okay, the nat, the the 2016 Clemson football team um, that won the national champion. I mean, they were the national champions. They did not. If you look and see how that season went, Mike, uh, Clemson's 2016 season, it was really, really, really interesting um, because. There was a six and six Auburn team or an eight and four Auburn team with no quarterback that they beat by six. They beat Troy at home by six. They they scored twenty six at Georgia Tech. The Louisville game they had to they blew an eighteen point lead then came back and won. Uh, NC State should have beaten them that year. 
Florida State should have beaten them in Tallahassee. It was a 37-34 game to Sean Watson, and that was the game where I thought Dexter Lawrence had killed DeAndre Francois, one of those plays. Um, They lost at home to Pitt, and then things changed. They beat Wake Forest. They beat South Carolina. Close game against Virginia Tech in the championship game, 42-35. Remember, it got moved to Orlando because of the bathroom laws or whatever. And then they started rolling. Again, beat Ohio State 31-0 and then beat Bama. So that that Clemson team against an NC State team that, you know, had a lot of good defensive linemen and a good defense in Death Valley that should have lost that game, um, you know, that was a matchup that, that wasn't a big surprise because, hey, they beat Auburn by six. They beat Troy by six. They lost at home to Pitt. Um, you know, they lost, beat Virginia Tech by seven. That Clemson team played a ton of close games is my point. Okay, last year, Clemson did not play a lot of close games, but that was an NC State football team, Mike, that had seven players that were taken in the NFL draft tied with Alabama. And it was in Raleigh. And it, it was a close game. No, everybody forgot about the personnel losses. There was no Jalen Samuels. Jalen Samuels was not walking through that door. Bradley Chubb was not walking through that door. You know, Naheem Hines was not walking through that door. You know, this is a rebuilding year for State. Had they played West Virginia earlier in the year instead of the hurricane canceling it, I think they would have gotten completely exposed. Um, so, So it was a little bit ridiculous. Now, as far as their trajectory as a program... Here's what I do. Dave Dorn's got a great recruiting class right now with a lot of in-state guys. And quite frankly, to his credit, he and his staff have recruited in-state well. North Carolina's down. Duke and Wake are are not relevant. Um, They've beaten back some South Carolinas and some Clemsons and some Georgias on some in-state kids. That's good. Um, The time to reload that roster, and they're selling the crap out of the seven draft picks, I'll tell you that right now, um, is now – but Dorn's never going to be a guy that's going to be better than nine and four. All that talent last year, they were nine and four. Okay, lost four games, lost to Wake Forest, lost to South Carolina, despite outgaining them by three hundred yards in that game in Charlotte. Um, lost to Clemson and then lost one more that I don't remember. But look, he's not that guy. The best if you're an NC State fan, you know, and you're dreaming one day, one day, of being the the Clemson or the Florida State. Of that division, because you're in a division with those two schools. Keep that in mind. Um, you need to hope Dave Dorn maybe takes another job, like he almost took Tennessee last year, and moves on during a time period where you can go get a coach that can coach these guys up, and, and maybe you can make some noise because you are recruiting well. But right now, it's just I mean, they were a complete joke as far as even being ranked like they were. Uh, it yeah, uh, paper tiger is is the right term, and. Um... I, you know, I, I think there were a few that were fooled by that. I, I think those that have been following NC State football for a while knew better. And, and Trevor Lawrence just continues to get better and better. I, I know, again, some people are pulling against him for the sole purpose of they just they feel that Kelly Bryant is a victim in that whole uh, benching of him and now subsequent t- transfer, which, by the way, Kelly Bryant was seen at Arkansas. Mm. Uh, which I think would be, I think would be a perfect fit for both next year. I think Kelly Bryant would actually put up some pretty serious numbers in Chad's offense in year two. But um, 
but no, I mean, Trevor showed out and ETN, who I mentioned a couple weeks ago, was a legitimate Heisman candidate, even though we already know who's going to win the Heisman. But you got to have somebody to fill up a third chair. I can't remember the last time New York only had two people in attendance for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. So once we get by Tua and Kyler Murray of Oklahoma, those two guys are going to be there. Somebody's got to occupy a third chair. Uh, it, it's not going to be Larry Culpepper of Dr. Pepper fame, even though he's not doing anything right now. Could, I guess you could send him, maybe send the old Dosecki guy while you're at it. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, that would be a potential candidate if he keeps playing the way he is. I'll say that one more thing on NC State. I, I I get the drift of what you're saying. You're obviously not a Dave Doran fan, and I'm I'm not. I could take him or leave him, but to me, if you go through what 30 years of NC State coaches, it winds up being the same thing. Like you put them all in a right. Yeah. I mean, it, you put them all in like a lottery to go back to a lottery analogy, and, and a bunch of little balls in a thing, and it pops out, and whatever coach you get, it's the same result at NC State. Everybody's had some moments of success. I mean, you know, Chuck Amato had some moments. Of success. Tom O'Brien had some moments of success. Uh, everybody's had some successful moments, um, but it, it always is kind of the same thing. And, and unfortunately, with the ACC and how it's evolved over the years, you know, Dick Sheridan had a lot of good teams at NC State, but when Dick Sheridan was coaching NC State, most of the time that was even before Florida State was in the league. That was before Mac Brown got to North Carolina. Uh, it was basically Clemson and, and and Maryland under Bobby Ross was pretty good. Georgia Tech was good. Virginia was good. But, I mean, it was an eight-team league where, you know, heck, NC State should compete for bowl games and titles. You know, I, I, Mike O'Kane, who was probably the least successful, I think he, he even had some, some teams that were okay. Did you know Monty um, Kiffin coached NC State in the early 80s? I, I did. I did. Uh, How about sh- that? Shortly after Lou Holtz coached That's at, right. uh, at North Carolina State. So it's it's an intriguing job. I, I think it's a school that, you know, if you look at the totality of it, they're more successful in basketball, you know, in terms of championships and Final Fours and things like that than they have been in football, but it is a school that get that believes it should be really good in football. And I, and I can't yeah. say that they're wrong. I mean, I, I think that they have some advantages um, at times, especially when North Carolina's down, um, that, that maybe some other schools in North Carolina don't. I, I'll tell you the school that's the football school in North Carolina is East Carolina. Um, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear me talk about how East Carolina should be in the SEC. Uh but, you know, that's a topic probably for the summer. <laughs> yeah. I've been to Dowdy Fickle. That is a great, I mean, they tailgate. They got a nice stadium. It is a great, it's a great school, great party school from what I'm told. Yeah. Uh, I've actually called a game at East Carolina. Fun, fun place. Better, um, better crowds than Vandy gets. Uh, oh, no question. Know? I mean, you know, <laughs> that's, I, that, that's not even a competition. Um, but, uh, for, one of the things that hurts them is in their middle. They're in the middle of nowhere. There's yeah. no easy way to get to ECU. No. And I think when, when all that was being determined of who's worthy of being in a power five league and who's not, I think that really hurt ECU. And, and I think now they're, you know, they're stuck in that as much as the American likes to say, we're the sixth power five conference. We're, we're the, the additional power. No, you're not. I mean, you're, 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 you're a group five conference and, 
uh, that's not going to change anytime soon. By the way, winning percentages last four NC State coaches. Mike O'Kane, 51%. Chuck Amato, 57%. Tom O'Brien, 53%. Dave Doran, 56%. Noticing a trend there that's all about the same. I mean, it's just I, I that goes back to 1993, by the way. I just think NC State's going to be in this perpetual spot. Um, and I don't think that's changing anytime soon. You might be able to bring in some just incredibly dynamic coach that gets it rolling there, but you're in a league where Clemson and Florida state are always going to resemble sec type football programs. And you're kind of, you're going to be in that next tier. I just, I just don't see that uh, changing. So please send your hate mail to uh, at Morgan on air. For yeah. that and then as long as Debbie Yao is the athletic director at NC state, they will never make a dynamic coaching hire. I mean, think about instead of hiring Doran a couple of years ago, I mean, it was Doran and Chad Morris. I think Chad Morris could have probably done a little bit more. Mm. Um, and Debbie Yao is just, lacks vision and and all that and I, I think she's one of the worst she's has been ever since her days at maryland one of the worst athletic directors um in the country quick uh quick props and take a bow to scott frost finally won a game at nebraska it was a long time coming all of a sudden uh scott frost knows how to coach again but you could see this coming they're starting to play better they're starting to come around uh, you know, the, the question ultimately will become whether or not he can be the guy and we'll see. Yeah. Uh, we'll see actually what happens to him with Scott. I was happy to see him win. And he did say there will come a day where they're not going to be celebrating. Uh, I think they, they dumped some Gatorade on him. Uh, one win at Nebraska. And I tend to agree with him. You know, I, I think, Number one, Nebraska is sort of having to retool with their offense. I think they got a good young quarterback. Um, they still have the best fans in the country. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people uh, talk about a lot of fan bases uh, being the best fans in the country. And, and I, unbiasedly, if I took a poll of college football fans, um, I would uh, or, or rank the fan bases. Nebraska would probably – I would have a hard time picking a fan base that was better, more loyal, while also being extremely knowledgeable about the game uh, than the University of Nebraska Cornhuskers. I mean, you look at it, they had a game against Minnesota. Uh, bad look for Minnesota losing that game. Uh, and it was packed. And Nebraska had won a game this year. You know, they're probably going to win another one here against Bethune-Cookman um, in a couple of days or whatever. And so you get to two, and uh, you ultimately see what happens. I think it's been a tough transition to the Big Ten um, for that particular program. I think that when they were in the Big 12 in the middle of the country and you're playing a lot of other teams in the middle of the country and you're playing Colorado and you're playing the Texas schools, it's easier for Nebraska to have that kind of reach uh, not only to the east and down to the southeast, but also into California and down into Texas. And in the Big Ten, you know, it's the northern one-fourth of the country. And and so their recruiting area shrank when they joined that. And it didn't help that you had Bo Pelini there who, uh, you know, for, for lack of a better term, was an Ohio guy and, and kind of oversaw the, the transition and, they went Ohio heavy, and, and, and now they have a roster that's similar to Iowa or Michigan State, 
probably a little bit below Michigan State or, you know, a school like that. And, and when you're trying to run offense like Scott Frost wants to run, you know, you, you have to retool. Um, so I think it's been a tough transition. But, but you, look at, you look at Nebraska, you look at the tradition, and, and we say it a lot. And, and to me, Nebraska is a lot like Tennessee, uh, except they're in a, a division where I think there is more, even though the SEC East, a lot of people are talking about how, how much better the SEC East is this year, and they're talking about, you know, is it better than the West? That's, that, that's, a, that's a ridiculous talking point, in my opinion. Um, but we'll get to that in a second. But the Big Ten West, um, you know, you have Purdue. They're salty right now because of Braun, but ultimately they're four and three. Uh, Wisconsin, sort of the big dog. You know, and then you got Nebraska. So, so you have upward mobility uh, there. And uh, whereas Tennessee, I think it's going to, you know, it's tougher with Alabama on the schedule every year, et cetera. So, you know, they're a lot like Tennessee. And just like Tennessee, I think that eventually Nebraska will cycle back up. You know, it just kind of takes the right guy and um, and some recruiting and, and, and really some creative recruiting. Uh, and that's that's tougher to do now with Nebraska being in the Big Ten as opposed to the Big 12. But uh, I do think that once they start kind of getting out there, scoring points, running fun offense, hanging half a hundred on people, whatever, which I think they will soon, it's going to be easier to go in the living rooms and get the speed from the different parts of the country that they need to make that thing work. So happy for Scott Frost. Um, I do think they're going to get another win here pretty soon, uh, especially against Bethune-Cookman. Uh, and I think they have a chance to have a respectable finish after what was – even I was sort of surprised uh, at how badly they started. I think we all were, and certainly Scott Frost would be at the top of that list. But sometimes you need to kind of hit rock bottom before you can really get to the top. And in some ways – It'll help deliver his message, I think. I think he's used it to his advantage, as opposed to just having like a ho-hum seven and five season. And everybody's like, okay, shrug of the shoulders. We've done this before. Uh, By hitting rock bottom, it sends a message that we we need to completely change the culture here. We need to completely change the way we've been recruiting. Uh, We need to hit the reset button. And I think that's what they're doing there. Look, we talked about how it's good to see Michigan relevant texas relevant it'd be great to see nebraska relevant i gotta be honest i think it's going to be a long time before we're talking about nebraska as a playoff team that kind of relevant remember wasn't that long ago they won three national titles in four years or two and a half in our ridiculous split poll split championship uh system but I, i just don't know if that's that's realistic anytime soon there's a lot of things that were attractive about nebraska before that are less and less attractive now in 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 the big picture relative to the other powerhouse programs and you mentioned the move to the big 10 uh, that does not help in any way shape or form if there's 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 when all that realignment happened i i think nebraska got as hurt uh as anybody in all that you know, I, I really do. And Colorado in the Pac-12 still doesn't feel right to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, losing Nebraska to the Big Ten just doesn't feel right to me. And I just think it puts them further behind the eight ball in that conference. There's, you're, you're flying all over the place. You're, you've, you're lost all your natural rivals. Um, I, that That's one of the many reasons why I don't think Nebraska is going to be big time anytime soon. Hope I'm wrong. 
I'd love to see, I'd love to see the, the red N on the white helmet getting, getting ready for a de facto playoff game and the big 10 where the winner goes to the playoff. I'd love to see that. I think it'd be great for college football. Again, I just, I don't see that happening uh, anytime soon. And that's not because of Scott Frost. That's just because of what and where Nebraska is at this day and time. All right. Uh, just wrapping up the week that was, we've got some interesting things happen in the sec, uh, by the way, 30 seconds of Alabama, Alabama's really good too, is really great. Uh, they thumped up on a Tennessee team that was overmatched. They're still the best team in college football. They're going to make the playoff and likely win a national championship. JC, your thoughts? Uh, nothing to add to that one. No. Didn't didn't even watch uh, most of that game. Did th- did think Killer Chris did some good things in relief for Tennessee, which is kind of what I was paying attention to. Uh, Tua probably had his worst game in that game, <laughs> um, and still a game in which he threw for four touchdowns. Still and no was picks. really really good. I mean, right. so so nothing nothing to add there. We'll talk. I'm pretty sure we'll talk about Alabama a lot more next week. Yeah, keep in mind this is not us slighting Alabama. No. This is us recognizing they're so damn good and so far ahead of the pack that it, it, it it's just not it's not worth discussing. Like there's nothing new we're going to tell you. If we were one of these debate shows, we try to come up with a uh, manufactured controversy <laughs> and some ridiculous headline to get clicks or to get you to engage in a in a seven minute discussion about Alabama football. We don't do that here. Alabama is that good. It's not really entertaining to talk about. Uh, We look forward to an Alabama opponent that can actually make them sweat. Okay. Uh, I I do want to say, I want to talk a little LSU Mississippi state real quick. Speaking of Alabama, it's their next opponent. And obviously we'll start talking about the the big games this week in a moment. I'm just going to say one more thing on Mississippi state. And it pains me to say this, but it's still true. Uh, I, I was right on Nick Fitzgerald. This is why I hesitated to jump on the Mississippi State bandwagon. I didn't buy into the 10-win narrative. I didn't buy into the lookout. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald's a legitimate Heisman candidate. When you can't throw the football, you're not a legitimate Heisman candidate. You know, the biggest the biggest difference between college football and, and pro football, as I see it, in terms of quarterbacking, and it's come, it's it, for me this has been like I'm fascinated by the NFL draft. I'm fa- you're fascinated by recruiting JC obviously and and have uh, made uh, a huge name recovering recruiting on a national basis for many many years. I'm fascinated by how college players project the next level in the NFL draft. And so uh, to me the biggest difference is you can take a kid who's really athletic in college football and even if he's not a great thrower you can hide that, you can disguise it, and you can orchestrate offenses around it where you're still successful. And then they get to the NFL and they're completely lost and they flounder. So Nick Fitzgerald, you thought, would be another case of you knew he wasn't going to be an NFL prospect. If you if you really follow the NFL, if you talk to like guys that are scouts for the NFL or just cover that, Nick Fitzgerald's not even on your radar, not as a, you know, you could go the Matt Jones route and convert it into a wide receiver or something, but you're, you're, you knew he wasn't an NFL quarterback. The thought process was from a lot of people. Well, so what he's so athletic and you take Joe Moorhead who's had success, even though it's a different offense uh, and you can build upon what Dan Mullen did and you can, you can turn him into a good passer. He has been so bad. And his losses, 
it, it's not like ineffective or mediocre. It is atrocious. He he's averaging less than four yards per pass attempt in the losses. His completion percentage is way below 50%, which is almost impossible in the college game where you're throwing a bunch of bubble screens and flares and easy, easy reads and throws for college quarterbacks that typically don't do very well in the NFL. There's none of that. He has regressed. He has absolutely regressed and it's just hard to watch. Now. Yeah, look, he ran for 131 yards. That's fantastic. If you want your quarterback running for 23 times for a buck 31, that, that, that's great, but he can't throw the ball and everybody knows it and defenses know how to stop it. And so Mississippi state is one and three in conference and it, they're hard to watch on offense. They're absolutely hard to watch. I'm not trying to pick on the kid, but man, oh man, I don't see any improvement him throwing the football. And sometimes you say, well, he's not showing it right now, but it's still in there. I don't know if it's in there. I just think the kid is a one dimensional weapon. Uh, and it got extremely exposed this year in the Southeastern conference. So Mississippi state, a team that, uh, that had so many expectations coming in this year is having a rough, rough year. Well, I mean, look, and I knew this was, if there was, you look at their roster and you look at kind of the Moorhead era and you look at what, how the offense at Penn state with trace McSorley sort of evolved. And you look at what that offense is and, it, 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 yes, it's a spread, and this is what people don't dig into, Mike. And, and we 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 called this on this podcast, and I, I'm not one to sit here and brag about things we've been right about because, Lord knows, we've been wrong about things too. But over the summer, when we talked about Mississippi State, this is this is what we both said: How is Nick Fitzgerald going to transition into a new? Because even though it's a spread, and even though when you're just watching a game and watching the ball. You know, you can't really look and see, oh, there's not that much difference between what Mullen did. Yes, there is. This is why Mullen is winning with Felipe Franks. Okay. Yes, there's passing in Dan Mullen's offense. No, it's not predicated on a quick precision passing game like Joe Moorhead's. And that's why I thought if there's going to be something that derails Mississippi State, nobody wants to say it's Nick Fitzgerald because he was a preseason All-SEC guy, and rightfully so based on the previous year. It's going to be that he does not fit this offense. Joe Moorhead would probably not offer him a scholarship. Georgia, he's from the state of Georgia, did not offer him a scholarship as a quarterback because he didn't fit. Dan Mullen did because he does. He does fit. Put, fit, put Nick Fitzgerald on Florida – I don't know that they lose to Kentucky in game two, and they're probably undefeated right now because it's a system. And you're right. In college, you can get by being a system quarterback, but you have to fit the system, and Nick Fitzgerald does not fit the system. Joe, I mean, their biggest, their best win this year, besides Kansas State, um, was uh, Auburn. What would they do? 41 minutes time of possession, Fitzgerald rushed for 195. That's what they need to do from here on out. It's hard to do that and win against LSU because in the rain in Death Valley because LSU is kind of salty on defense, especially against the run, in case we didn't know. Um, but, uh, you know, that's the, that's the issue. And I think it's up to Nick Fitzgerald to kind of, you know, hopefully get a little better at hitting some of those passes uh, but also, I, I believe it's it's up to Joe Moorhead and his staff, 
you know, to sort of customize things a little bit, sort of like they did against Auburn and, um, you know, try to get it, get it to, to respect. And I still think Mississippi State's got good enough personnel to win seven, eight games and go to a, a good bowl. Don't get me wrong. But to see the Joe Moorhead offense really take off and do replicate what they did at Penn State, they need a Trace McSorley-type guy or a guy that at least can throw and not Nick Fitzgerald, who, who you know, we keep mentioning Matt Jones. That's exactly who he is, is Matt Jones, the former quarterback at Arkansas. That's exactly who he is. And uh, Houston Nutt had an offense tailor-made for Matt Jones. Um, and unfortunately, this situation at Mississippi State does not fit him uh, as well as Dan Mullen's system uh, did when he was there. I'll just add one more thing, and I'm not disagreeing with you on, obviously, he would be more comfortable with Dan Mullen's offense. But, but JC, I mean, he struggles to make simple throws. Simple throws. And that's something, no matter what your scheme is, no matter who your coach is, you're a starting quarterback in the SEC, brother. you got to be able to make these throws. And he is just so far off that... I just, I mean, if I didn't know any better, I'd say, is, is, did he did he ding his shoulder? I mean, did he did he get hurt? I know he had the knee injury last year, but obviously he's running just fine. I mean, he could still outrun a whole lot of defenses, but wow, yeah, it looks like he has gone down a couple of levels throwing the football. Yeah, and players do that sometimes when they're not comfortable and they're unsure and don't know what they're doing, and, and I, I chalk it up to that. You know, is he as bad as he's shown – at th- no, it, this is rock bottom. Okay, <laughs> um, but you know, it, is he ever going to be the type of passer uh, that, that is highly successful in the offensive system they're running? No. So yeah, that's my take. Any any other things stand? I mean, uh, Kentucky beats Vanderbilt. We're not going to spend five seconds on that. Uh, I, I, I was there for Missouri uh, crushing Memphis. By the way, Missouri is a seven point favorite at Kentucky against Kentucky at home. Am I reading that right? Um, that's surprise. I mean, I was going to say, don't be surprised if Missouri pulls off an upset, but I wasn't going to make them a seven point favorite. Uh, boys in Vegas must know a lot more than I do. And uh, Arkansas shut out Tulsa 23, nothing. That, that's your SEC uh, scoreboard. Anything, anything else stand out from the week that was week eight before we look ahead? Big, big weekend for spread offenses, uh, I think, um, except for Ohio State's. Um, as much as we talk about Ohio State struggling because they can't run the ball, you know, Purdue and Washington State both, Jeff Brom, Mike Leach, had big wins uh, running those uh, types of offenses. And uh, uh, the SC situation out in L.A., Southern Cal, just, uh, I mean, it, it, they continue to, to, to have these moments where it's like, ugh, what are you doing? And now they're down to their third-string quarterback. Um Things are ugly in, in Troy, um, uh, and so, you know, we'll ultimately see what becomes of that. Uh, you know, Oklahoma TCU was what we thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, TCU's quarterback is now out, and their best player is kicked off the team. So That's a problem. Things are getting ugly for Gary Patterson and, and his group. Um you know, after such a promising start. So we'll, we'll see uh, ultimately what happens, but that, that, those were the things that sort of stood out to me. Um, really last weekend to me was about, you know, Clemson validating whatever that's worth against 
however good NC State was. But I did think Clemson really looked good. And about Purdue, Ohio State. I mean, that was kind of the that was kind of the big deal. Those were definitely the takeaways. And just to double up and uh, piggyback on your uh, Southern Cal deal, I, I, for the Pac-12, oh, by the way, Oregon, who might have been your last legitimate hope for a playoff spot, they go down. So it is it is lights out. It is thank you for playing. It is gets, get even cozier on the couch now. Uh, get that the best cooler you have, whether it's a Yeti or whatever else. Uh, nice cold beverages, maybe uh, some bratwurst, good time of year for some brats on the grill and enjoy the playoff again from the television set because there's no way the Pac-12 is going to have any representation there. I'll tell you what, if you want representation from a fine, fine men's clothing outlet, BP Skinner Clothiers is your place. Brent Skinner is your man. I've been talking about him for a while. I get kind of excited when I talk about it because I know – Brent Skinner, uh, for me personally and for so many other folks out there, uh, businessmen, uh, people in athletics, coaches, professional players, uh, other people in broadcasting all over the country know that when it comes to looking their very best, when it comes to custom suits, clothing, shirts, accessories, BP Skinner Clothiers is the place. Brent Skinner is the man. BPSkinnerClothiers.com. Check out the website. Go ahead and give them a call. Set up a time. Brent Skinner will come to you. You don't need to go to some department store. Who likes doing that? Does any man like going to a department store and having to go through all that nonsense and deal with pushy salespeople and guys working on commission? No. Just have them come to your house. He'll have all the different options for you. He'll size you up and make sure you look your very best. And then a few days later, knock comes on the door. It's your uh, lovely uh, UPS or FedEx guy, and everything's delivered to you, ready to go in one fell swoop. That's bpskinnerclothiers.com. Brent Skinner, making the difference. You will feel the difference. You will feel and look your very best. All right, JC, week nine. Week nine coming up, and in the SEC, it's pretty easy to see what game sticks out here. It is Georgia. It is Florida. It is the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Your thoughts? Well, I uh, I, I know that because Florida's been playing good football lately that, uh, you know, the tendency is going to be to – think the Gators are going to win. And, and look, man, uh, this this series, with the exception of, for some reason, the Will Muschamp era at Florida, he was one in three against his alma mater there. Um, but McIlwain was two and one against the Dogs. The Zucker was three and one hmm. against the Dogs. Oh, no, two and one. Zucker, Zucker was there for three years, right? Correct. Yeah, so he was two and one. Against no three and oh, two and one, two and one against the Bulldogs. We know Spurrier was what you know, 11 and one, 11 and one against Georgia. And uh, I think Urban Meyer was five and one or four and two against Georgia. So Florida has dominated, for lack of a better term, this series. And usually when Florida's not bad. Or, or doesn't Georgia doesn't have clearly the better team that they 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 win the game, um, so I understand the tendency there. But I, I, I and I and take nothing away from the Gators beating LSU 
at the Swamp. That was a game where Florida played really well. I don't think LSU played particularly well, um, and they won. If I'm Georgia, I'm very concerned about stopping Florida's run game because I think the Gators are running the ball well. Um, And I don't think Georgia necessarily has been as good as they could be at stopping the run. And, you know, I even go back to the South Carolina game. The the Gamecocks coaches were talking after the ball game that, gosh, they wish they had tried to stick with the run a little more because they they didn't think they could run it against them. But when they tried to, they did. Missouri ran for 185 yards. I mean – you know, Georgia's got a really good defense, don't get me wrong, but teams have been able to run it. So, so I think it's important. I think that's going to be the key to the game as far as can Florida pull off a victory uh, is the Gators' run game versus the Georgia run D. Now, let's go to the other side of the ball. I think Georgia has a clear advantage on offense. And, and I know Florida's defense is playing well, but it's Todd Grantham. And I watched Vanderbilt go up and down the field against them. Um, And I also have seen them have their one great game, you know, a year where they shut down Mississippi State. But I've also seen teams go up and down the field. And I think Georgia, with the way Georgia attacks the perimeter um, and their personnel on the outside and their backs and a really, really good offensive line, I think Georgia's going to be able to put some points on the board. How Florida combats that is ball control, running the ball, and uh, playing, you know, tightening down when you get in the red zone. I, I, my gut is Georgia wins this one. Not going to be forty-two to seven like it was last year. Probably somewhere in like the thirty to twenty-ish range. Um, Gators are going to come back down to earth a little bit. But, but you know, just given the history of this series, though, Mike. You know, it's hard to sit there and go, ah, Florida doesn't have a chance. I mean, I, I think even people last year were thinking the the the, the final game of um, the Swamp Donkey, uh, his era at Florida, uh, you know, that game, I don't think Gators were going into that game thinking they were going to get tar- tattooed either. So, I, you know, it's just hard. It's hard to sit there and go against Florida in this series ever. Um but but I, I do think Georgia is the better team. And that's taking nothing away from the Gators' start. I just think Georgia's the better team, and it'll show on Saturday. It, this is a unique game, uh, rivalry, because – and I've had a chance to, to cover this one, and you and I both had a chance to cover South Carolina-Clemson. And I'll tell you the biggest difference is – and more often than not, as much as we like to throw out a bunch of cliches during rivalry week, anybody can win it. Throw out the records. More often than not, you take a look at the best rivalry games out there in college football, and the better team normally wins. The team with the better talent normally wins. As you documented very well, and that's certainly the case, by the way, in South Carolina-Clemson, right? I mean, how many major upsets have you had in that rivalry in the last 20 years? Not many. Typically, the, when Spurrier was rolling up 11 wins a year, they were beating up on Clemson. Now that Dabo has it going, uh, they've been beating up on Carolina. This one's counterintuitive because, as you documented so well, there have been a number of Florida teams with (laughs) certainly less than stellar coaches that would soon be fired that have gone into Jacksonville against a a Georgia team that had more talent and was a better team, and yet somehow Florida stole a win, to use an expression that a lot of Georgia fans use when it uh, surrounds this game. They stole a win. They robbed of us, robbed of us of our successful season. 
somehow, some way. So this truly is one of those rivalry games where sometimes you can throw away the records. Now, in this case, they have virtual identical records. But I think most people acknowledge Georgia's the better team. And I think Georgia wins the game. Uh, again, Felipe Franks in, in at some point is going to have to make key throws. Uh, and I just don't see that happening this week. I will say this. You know, we mentioned our, our big Michigan fan. Justin, we've also got a, a several female listeners, including uh, the lovely and talented Abby, a uh, huge Georgia fan. And Abby insists that Justin Fields should be the quarterback. I'm hearing a lot more of that from Georgia fans here. A lot of people that are quickly jumping off the Jake Fromm bandwagon. He did not play well at all in that game against LSU. He has not had the sophomore campaign that people thought. Now, in fairness to Jake Fromm, you know, they have an offensive coordinator. If you go back and look at Coach Cheney's offenses, you're not putting up big numbers in his offense. Okay. You go back to when he was at Tennessee, other spot. You're not throwing for 3,000. You're not throwing for 35 touchdowns in a Coach Cheney offense. It's, it's not designed to do that. But Fromm has just been less than accurate. And you've got this stud, this 19 year old five star blue chip kid out of Kennesaw who looks the part at 6'3", 225, who runs, who throws. I don't would not be surprised if we don't see more Justin Fields in this game. I, I, if Jake Fromm in particular starts struggling, I don't think they're going to wait and pull the plug. Uh, I think you'll see Justin Fields at that point go in this game and and maybe he even sticks at that point if Fromm doesn't play better. Now, I'm not, I'm not one to give up on Jake Fromm. I think Jake Fromm uh, I don't think he forgot how to, to play good football and certainly played plenty of it last year. But there are some concern, legitimate concerns there on, on how he's performed this year and it hadn't been great. Uh, so that's just something that kind of a subplot to the game as a whole. But yes, I think Georgia's a better team. And unlike in years past where the better team has not always won this game, I do think they win this one. I think they regroup. I think the bye week came at the perfect time. I think they had to figure some things out and at the end of the day, I've got more faith in Georgia than I have in Felipe Franks in Florida, so I would go with Georgia on that one. Uh, you know, Jim Jim Cheney too. It, it's weird because you can kind of see some elements of this at times. You know, he was the offensive coordinator at Purdue under Joe Tiller when Drew Brees was there. They basically played basketball on grass. He's an old school spread guy, and and whereas you've seen a lot of old school guys like like Dan Werner when he was at Ole Miss. Um, I think Steve Insminger does some stuff like this at LSU now where they've kind of gone the other direction. Cheney's kind of, Cheney spent a couple years in the NFL after Purdue, came back, started working at Tennessee, and went more pro style, so it's kind of weird. I am not – I think Georgia fans are looking around at Clemson and Alabama and going, why not us? Um, because you look and you see Trevor Lawrence – who's from the state of Georgia, throwing for a bunch of yards for a top-five team. Um, you see Tua and what he did last year when he broke your hearts with a long pass in overtime. Like my Larry Munson there. That's fantastic. Um, and, uh, and you're like, well, what about us? What about the Georgia Bulldogs? Here's our Trevor Lawrence or our Tua. I don't think Justin Fields is Trevor Lawrence or Tua. 
Mm-hmm. Not right now. I think he's a special athlete and a special player. Um, and I think a lot of people are calling for him because of from struggles. But I, I just don't know that that's, that's the answer right now. I, I think the answer right now is to kind of get from better and, and shoot. I, I, don't, I don't know that the guy's been that bad this year. Maybe call some better plays and, you know, run the ball a little more uh, and stick with it. Uh, because, because you know what? Look, you're Georgia, you know, and and, and you're not Alabama yet, okay? And and you don't you you don't play the same brand of football that Clemson does. You know, Clemson's a spread it out, although they're running it very well. And there's some, you know, people are like it's not a finesse offense. Well, you know, it, it it's based on finesse principles. But I mean, I, it's not like Clemson can't line it up and run it. Different debate, though. But you're Georgia. Great offensive line, run game, get the ball to your speedy receivers, uh, call some better plays if you're Jim Chaney, uh, and you'll, you're going to be fine. I mean, you know, I, I think having a lackluster South Carolina performance in that game and, you know, your other tough road game was Missouri, and then you play Vanderbilt, and, and you, know, you just didn't play anybody. Middle Tennessee, Austin P. I think Georgia, having not played anybody, hurt them when they went to LSU. Agreed. And, and I'll say this too: had Clemson not played tech at Texas A&M earlier this year, and let's say Clemson was going to LSU this weekend, I, I'd say the same thing. You know, I, I, I would say that they could meet a similar fate to what Georgia did. Because LSU has the lines of scrimmage and the athletes to man up against a team like Georgia or a team like Clemson. We'll find out in a couple of weeks if they do against Alabama or not. But I, 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 I think that it's a, it's a little bit of whataboutism and looking around at other teams uh, if you're Georgia calling for Justin Fields now. Um, and, and I think they need to let Fromm play it out because I just don't know that Fields is going to be you know, that much better um, and, and help you win. If I'm wrong, I'll say I stand corrected, but I, I just don't know that with how Georgia's built and what makes Georgia great, that, that fields for this season uh, is the answer because I think if he's the starter, you've got to retool that thing a little bit and, and play more to his strengths. So, you know, we'll see what happens. It's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting conversation in the offseason at the very least. Yeah, and, and if you want to see panic – get going uh, in Athens and for the better part of the state of Georgia, lose that game to Florida, all the goodwill that was accumulated last year Mm. with Kirby and Jake and (laughs) Georgia football's finally broken through. I'm going to tell you what, it it will be a debilitating loss. It won't just be like, ah, shuck. It's not our shucks. It's not our year that you lose to Florida in that game. And if you look bad doing it, uh, it's going to be a really long rest of the season for everybody in Bulldog Nation. You, you that much I can guarantee it. Just getting the kind of a sense of the pulse of the fan base here. You know, last year was was good for a lot of reasons. The bad is you just set the bar to where now if George is not in the playoff, it's a disappointing season. Well, they're not going to the playoff in all likelihood. Now, if you lose two games, one of which to Florida. People are going to label that a major disappointment 
from a Georgia standpoint, fair or unfair. I always preface that with fair or unfair, not saying it's fair, just telling you that's the way Georgia fans are going to look at it. It'd be a very rough uh, rest of the way. And get this, Mike, if Florida wins, it goes on to win the division. That's three out of four years the Gators will have won the SEC East. Yeah, and which then, is <laughs> none of which were good teams. None of know, which were particularly I mean, you know, good. So, so that's uh, that's that's crazy. But I do think yeah. I do think Georgia wins it. And I, I think, think if I'm Georgia, the game that scares me is the is, is the that Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah, you just stole my thunder. I mean, I we're not going to go two weeks ahead because we haven't even finished uh, this week, but. I think the Eastern Division is not going to be settled in Jacksonville. I think it's going to be settled in Lexington, Kentucky a week later. Uh, I actually think Kentucky has a better chance of, of defeating Georgia than I, than I think Florida does. Could be wrong, but that's just that's what, the way I'm looking at it right now. Uh, Clemson at Florida State, this, is, this was a game. This used to be the game that would knock Clemson out and uh, deny them of getting to that next level. Now it's the game that uh, typically further cements Florida State as no longer being in the same class as Clemson, particularly with the way Florida State is this year. Any chance you give the Knowles in this one? Uh, there's always a chance because Florida State does have talent. But then I look and and look that they've shown the ability against Miami, and Miami's a, a, a few notches below Clemson um, to to kind of rise up and play to the level of competition. Uh, so to speak, and, and they are better than they were to start the year. I mean, Florida State's going to go to a bowl. That streak's going to be intact. Uh, they do have some talent. Um, Clemson's defensive line against Florida State's offensive line, I just don't know how that's 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 going to give them any shot, shot to victory. And, and I'll say this, Clemson in Tallahassee over the years, Mike, I mean, like I mentioned, the win in 2016 by three points where they had to come back. They have not done well at Doe Campbell. Um, I think Danny Ford won there in 1989, which is uh, was kind of the, the fumble ruski revenge game hmm. that next year. Um, I think Tommy Bowden won there once. Uh, and then Dabo won there in 2016 and man that's been it so I think this is a chance you know Clemson loves to kind of at this point do things kind of for the first time I think this is a chance for Clemson to do to Florida State sort of what Florida State did to them in 2013 ultra hyped game at Death Valley uh, Clemson's program at the time is the Taj Boyd era really good team um, not quite ready to, to compete for a national title Florida State with Jameis Winston goes in there and waxes them 51-14. I think this is a chance for Clemson to kind of repay the favor from five years ago and go in and get one of those big signature you know, blowout wins on an opponent's home field um, against a team that has gotten the best of them um, down in tally uh, most of the time. I mean, Dabo has won one twice twice in Tallahassee in 06 and in um, 2016. One was by seven points. One was by three. And they've had some heartbreakers down there. So I, I think it's going to be uh, – no, no, I'm sorry. Dabo was not the head coach at Clemson in 06. Tommy Bowden was. Dabo has won one time one time in Tallahassee. He is 0-2, 0-3, 0-4. He's 1-4. 
at Doak Campbell. Um, and, and so I think this is a chance for him to kind of right that ship in the grand scheme of things. I think Clemson's much better. Um, you know, one interesting point to all this, I think, is is Trevor Lawrence uh, making a a road start for the first time. And, you know, he did play or, or a road start in a hostile environment. I mean, he started at Wake Forest, but Wake is not Doak Campbell Stadium. Um, he did get some playing time at A&M, which I think will help him, but uh, this is a, a different animal. Willie Taggart didn't help it because Clemson loves bulletin board material. By talking about how his defensive line was just as good as Clemson's and they're not worried about it, big mistake. <laughs> You're going to fire up Christian Wilkins and Cleveland Farrell and Austin Bryant and Xavier Thomas and Dexter freaking Lawrence. I, I don't know about that, but it's it should be interesting. That's a noon kickoff down there. Um, so I think it's going to be uh, uh, interesting to see if FSU can hang with them, but I just don't think they will. It's just uh, it's just one of those things that I don't think will happen. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it's Florida State in a couple of years should be able to compete with the Tigers, but uh, right now I just don't I, I just don't see it happen. I think Clemson's just on another level compared to the rest of the ACC. I uh, certainly agree. Kentucky at Mizzou uh, again, and I was just at Missouri. There, there are some things to like. I mean, Mizzou's got some talent now, um, and apparently the the boys in Vegas think so. They got them as a seven point favorite. I had to keep wincing my eyes and make sure I got that straight. Uh, I, I think that has to do in part with a, a lack of confidence in Terry Wilson, who has not really been great here of late. And they're they're winning in spite of the fact that their quarterback. Uh, has been erratic and is has not proven himself to be an overly accurate passer. But there's still a lot of things on Kentucky that make them difficult to play and hard to beat. I think Kentucky's going to have to go in there and win the turnover battle. And I think Drew Locke, will, he, he's good for a couple of turnovers a game. Kentucky's good secondary will be a challenge. Uh, I understand the line. But, you know, this game last year in Lexington was a 40-34 to 34 game. I think that was the first game where Mizzou, who got off to a dreadful start, really could, you know, kind of start to score, and you kind of could see where they were going. Um, you know, I, I, it's a contrast in styles, and so whoever can impose their will on the other team uh, is going to win the game. I, I, it would be disappointing for Kentucky if they lost – because then that Georgia game, yeah, it, I mean, I guess you'd still only have two SEC losses, and if you beat Georgia, you could be there. But um, I, I think it would be disappointing for them to lose that. But it, it's it's not it, – it's such a contrast in styles, and they think it happened. A&M's at Mississippi State. We've already talked about Mississippi State. but certainly be nice uh, for Jimbo Fisher and company to pick up a tough road win in Starkville as they continue to make strides uh, in College Station with their new head coach. Uh, and lastly, as we're running short on time here, Tennessee and South Carolina, kind of an intriguing game. It, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that Tennessee all of a sudden lost its momentum because they got thumped by Alabama. That was an unfortunate timing for that game to be on the schedule because you just had all the things that you wanted coming off the Auburn win. I still say Tennessee would almost be better suited if they had Alabama off the permanent uh, rival game in terms of scheduling, I, I don't. I think what you get out of that versus what you lose out of that, you're, you're getting the short end of the stick. But nevertheless, they play in Columbia. That game will be Saturday night, 
prime time. The Gamecocks, Jake Bentley could certainly use a victory at this point in time. Tennessee would love to continue some momentum. I know you've got your eyes on this game, JC. What are you seeing? Well, I think Tennessee is certainly capable of beating South Carolina. You know, Garantano knocked out of the game. Jeremy Pruitt says he's going to be okay. Tennessee's got some weapons on the perimeter. They got a good run game. The Gamecocks defense has been suspect this year. Um, as far as South Carolina's offense goes, they just need to execute. You know, 20 drop passes and three losses, uh, some errant interceptions by Bentley. Um, some times where maybe they don't stick to the run game as much as they should. Will Muschamp mentioned that over the week. Will Muschamp 6-0 against Tennessee. Uh, and from South Carolina's perspective, you, you got to kind of be a, a little bit weird about that because you, you think eventually, you know, he, he's going to lose a game against the Vols. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a, another close game. You know, last year's six-point win by the Gamecocks in Knoxville was the largest margin of victory in this series – since 2011. And, you know, Tennessee's been down. Carolina's been down. Tennessee's been slightly up with Butch Jones and Josh Dobbs while Carolina's been down. It's always a close ball game. I expect another close one Saturday night in Columbia. And if the Vols can pull it out, um, and I'm going to pick South Carolina because I feel like after the open date, they're going to kind of get it together. And they're at home. And I think they're a better team, not by a whole lot, but a better team. But if Tennessee can win, that puts them at four and four with Charlotte, Kentucky, Missouri, and Vandy left on the schedule. So even with a loss, I still think Tennessee could get to a bowl game in year one, um, especially after that surprising win at Auburn. But, you know, I think playing a down Auburn at noon or 11 Central at Jordan-Hare, even though Jordan-Hare is a tough place to win, is different than a back-against-the-wall South Carolina team at Williams-Brice Stadium at night. So I think the environment uh, is supposed to be a little colder, too. Um, the environment, I think, you know, will be a test for this Volunteers team. Things cooled off over there, but Jake Bentley, I mean, the, the fans, are they, are they getting off his case a little bit more, even off a tough loss? He did play well in the second half against A&M. No, I mean, I, I watched every – I went back and watched on – uh, some film of every pass he threw against Texas A&M. There were, there were three or four I'm sure he'd like to have back, but there are three or four every quarterback would like to have back in most games. Um, uh, and the rest of it was was drops. And uh, Matt Stenchcomb, who I think was on the broadcast, I think it was Stenchcomb. If it wasn't, I'm sorry, um, did make the point that there were some shadows in the stadium that day. On some of the long balls, maybe they, they just lost them in the shot. I don't know. I don't know. But, no, I, I think the criticism of Jake Bentley at South Carolina is ridiculous. I don't think he's been perfect. But there's been a lot of things this year that have been out of his control. Um, and I think a lot of times when a team's struggling, the, just like with Jake Fromm, the tendency is to, like, look at the bad and dismiss all the good. Uh, and I think that's what's happening with Jake Bentley right now, but it's nothing a good performance and a win. I mean, you know, Carolina's got Tennessee and then at Ole Miss. You win those two, you're five and three going to the swamp. You don't know what Florida's going to be like then. Maybe a chance to knock them off down there. All of a sudden, oh, it's just a bad first half of the season. You, you turned it around and, and, and away you go. But if you lose this game, uh, the trajectory of the program suddenly starts to look a lot different. 
if you're South Carolina. Uh, no question about that. No, and, and the trajectory for Tennessee, if they can spring an upset on the road, uh, looks that much better as well. That'd be two out of three against two uh, quality. If you would have said at the beginning of the year Tennessee was going to win against Auburn and then at South Carolina, uh, a lot of people would have said, no way, Jose. That would be something for Jeremy Pruitt certainly to build on. Uh, as we wrap up, final few moments here, some final thoughts. Well, just looking forward to uh, the Halloween weekend edition of college football. It's hard to believe that it's already here and that we're this far into the season. Um, goes by really fast, but looking forward to that. And then that following week with Bama and LSU and, and a couple of those other games, I, I'm really, really looking forward yeah. uh, to checking some of those games out. Um, if you're a Gamecock or a volunteer fan, you live here in Atlanta – I want to invite you out to Dive Bar and Buckhead for the, the Gamecocks watch party, uh, getting started at 7 uh, down there. But uh, I don't think they're going to mind if, if some folks in Orange uh, stop by and watch it either. We've had great crowds out there. Just want to tell everybody about that. That's Dive Bar, Buckhead, watch party, South Carolina and Tennessee. Also, if you're a Florida State fan, that is your place to go watch the Seminoles. So go watch the Seminoles, play the Clemson Tigers as well. Heck, spend all day at Dive Bar. I'm, I'm sure Zach and all the gang down there would appreciate that. That's Dive Bar in Buckhead, sort of an unofficial sponsor of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. I like it. I like a good spot. J.C., that's going to do it for us, my man. we got plenty to talk about next week, including everything that happened uh, on a busy Saturday this week. And like you said, some premier matchups looking ahead to, uh, I guess it'll be, what, week nine, week ten, if you include week zero. Uh, whatever it is, it'll be a good week of college football. <laughs> That's going to do it for us. I uh, hope everybody is uh, enjoying the cold weather and enjoying some good football this weekend. Good luck to your teams, whoever they may be. For J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long for now. Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store custom closet sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from.